this is Bias Bender, and I'm Kayla Stokes. Welcome to the next episode of this podcast where we are exploring the lives of Black women from the past and the present in order to imagine the future. This week, we are talking about Charlotta Bass and her historic political career. This week deserves a big breath to start us off. (laughs) Wow. Hi, everyone. I'm so glad you're here to listen to this episode because I'm so excited to be sharing my thoughts with you today. I have been feeling a lot this week. (laughs) Of course, this Monday started the week off with Martin Luther King Jr. Day. That day is complicated. Because of the work of so many, including Coretta Scott King, we are able to observe that day and remember the words and work of MLK. But at the same time, that day makes me reflect on how far we still have to go. And on top of all that, we wouldn't be observing MLK Day without the tragedy that marks his life and the lives of so many other folks who have dedicated their lives to the fight for justice. So Monday was a big emotional day. And then we got to Wednesday, Inauguration Day. I remember being a kid still when Barack Obama was first sworn into office. I knew that was a big day. I could tell that my family was proud to see Obama up center stage at the Capitol swearing to fulfill his duties. I was delighted to see the adorably polished outfits that his daughters were wearing as they stood next to him. It was a big victory to witness the first black family take their place in the White House. The sweetness of that day doesn't quite match the flavor of this Wednesday. This moment tasted different to me for many reasons. Of course, I'm older now and am more familiar with the complexity of politics and what our country is capable of. It took me getting into my late teens and early 20s to understand that not everyone in my little world has my best interest at heart, and I think it also took that long to learn the same thing is true when it comes to our country at large. That lesson that I'm still learning tastes brightly sour every time I'm confronted with it. Another reality that has deepened the flavor of this inauguration is the pandemic that we are still living through. It's been a year, and I'm still blown away by the impact it has had on all of our lives. This pandemic has been swift in its action. It has taken the lives we thought we knew so predictably well and turned them upside down, and In a more sobering way, it has taken so many people from our lives. The feeling of loss touches everything for me in a way that makes me want to move with more care than I ever did before I knew what this past year would bring. And to be honest, I think the other element that has snuck itself into my taste buds is bitterness. I am not proud that I feel a bitter resentment towards the people who have made life hard for so many others. I want to be able to say that I hold grace for those who have hurt me personally and those whose actions hurt the most vulnerable folks in our country, but I don't always have the patience to do so. 
I'm working on it, but it is tough to rise above that feeling and taste in my mouth. So I say all that to say that this Wednesday, when I welled up with pride to watch the first ever Black and South Asian woman be sworn in as vice president, this sweetness I tasted was made more complex by the things I've been through. By the things we've been through. But don't get me wrong, I could still taste the sweetness through it all. I grew up telling people I wanted to be the president of the United States when I grew up. I distinctly remember the little laughs and pats on the shoulder that came after I made that assertion at maybe six years old. The people who brushed my premonition aside as a joke probably don't even remember me saying that, but I hope that what they saw this week will make them treat each child's dreams with so much care. Those dreams become action, and eventually real change if we support them. Luckily for me, that child who only had big ideas is still a part of me. Watching the historic inauguration of Kamala Harris and Joe Biden only validated that I have work to do too. And I know that I'm not alone in that thinking and dreaming. We, the successors of a country and a time where a skinny black girl descended from slaves and raised by a single mother can dream of becoming president only to find herself reciting for one. When I heard this line of Amanda Gorman's poem, The Hill We Climb This Wednesday, all I could think was, that's me. (laughs) She's talking about me too. She's talking about herself, but (laughs) also Kayla who is also a skinny black girl descended from slaves and raised by the most wonderful single mother who dreamt about being the president and still dreams about making the world a better place. And of course, then I thought, how do we get her on my podcast? But (laughs) that's besides the main point. It has taken so long to get where we are. And to be honest, it's just a resting place to look and see how far we've come and how far we still have to go. But we are moving forward. So this week has been big, sweet and sour and bitter and very big. And well, I want to talk and shed light on another woman I've been thinking about through this all. While Kamala Harris is our first Black and South Asian and female vice president, she is not the first woman of color to run for the position. She stands on the shoulders of centuries of women of color who have worked tirelessly to have their voices heard. One of those women is Charlotta Bass. I'm so excited to share her story with you so that we can recognize her work too. Okay, here we go. Charlotta Bass was born Charlotta Amanda Spears on February 14th, 1874 in Sumter, South Carolina. Her parents Hiram and Kate Spears had a big family and she was number six out of their 11 children. Now, 
I don't know what the rest of the kids ended up doing, but Charlotta moved to live with her brother in Rhode Island as a young adult. While there, she attended the women's college that was associated with Brown University at the time. Needless to say, she is among the long list of Black women we've talked about who valued education as a means for mobility and power. In 1910, Charlotta used that mobility afforded to her by her hard work in the education world to move herself out to Los Angeles, California. There, she began working at the California Eagle, which was a Black newspaper. She already had experience working for a newspaper in Rhode Island, so she knew what she was doing. The Eagle would become her home base for quite a while. At first, she was selling subscriptions to the paper, but clearly her talents ran deeper than that position alone because when the owner of the newspaper was on his deathbed, he asked Charlotta to take over the paper once he was gone. And that's just what she did. (laughs) Charlotta knew that she needed other talented folks by her side when she took over the publication. She hired an accomplished editor who she admired to help her run the newspaper in 1912. His name was Joseph Blackburn Bass, and she ended up marrying him too. But their relationship definitely wasn't just about romance. They worked hard to make the California Eagle a reliable place for black folks to get the news. Together, Charlotta and Joseph centered the newspaper around issues and topics that appealed to their black readers. They wrote about the atrocities committed by the KKK, they pushed for police brutality reform, and they reflected on the struggles of restrictive housing. They used the newspaper as a platform to discuss all the things that black people needed to know about, not only to keep themselves informed, but also to protect themselves from the world around them. When Charlotta's husband passed away in 1934, she continued running the newspaper by herself. She ended up being one of the very first black women to own and operate a newspaper. And since the California Eagle grew to be the largest black newspaper on the West Coast, this really was quite an accomplishment. Another key aspect of Charlotta is that she wasn't just interested in reporting the news, (laughs) she was also committed to taking action herself. She was an active member of the NAACP, the Urban League, the Civil Rights Congress, and the Universal Negro Improvement Association. Her views on civil rights were clear from the articles she published in her newspaper, and she took those progressive thoughts and used them as her base of operation. So when she finally retired from running the newspaper in 1951, more than 40 years after beginning her sales job there, she was able to hit the ground running full-time in her civil pursuits. So, it turns out that during her career running the California Eagle, Charlotta was involved with politics on a local level. She spent time with both the Republican and Democratic parties, trying to see where her values fit. However, she found that her views that demanded equal rights for Black folks, and most specifically Black women, were far too progressive for either party at the time. So, as she left her newspaper, she also left the two parties behind. She stated that both parties were too busy trying to fight communism to pay attention to black rights and women's rights. This public denunciation from both parties, in addition to her friendships with some controversial black leaders, 
led to her being watched very closely by the FBI. (laughs) During this McCarthyism era, the government policy was to accuse you of communist ideation if your ideas were a little too progressive for their taste. And, well, Charlotta's ideas were a little too progressive for the government's taste. At one point, her passport was even confiscated because they were so afraid of her ideas, I guess. Well, Charlotta didn't let that stop her from staying active. In 1952, she became the first black female vice presidential candidate for a major party. Of course, she didn't run with a Republican or a Democratic presidential candidate. She ran with a candidate from the Progressive Party, Vincent Hallinan. Her acceptance speech is pretty powerful, and I suggest you look it up and give it a read. It speaks to so much that we are still talking about today. I'll read for you just the tail end of it. I make this pledge to my people, the dead and the living, to all Americans, black and white. I will not retire, nor will I retreat, not one inch, so long as God gives me the vision to see what is happening and strength to fight for the things I know are right. For I know that my kingdom, my peoples of all the world, is not beyond the skies, the moon, and the stars, but right here at our feet. Acres of diamonds, freedom, peace and justice for all the peoples if we will but stoop down and get them. I accept this great honor. I give you as my slogan in this campaign, let my people go. So neither Vincent nor Charlotta really thought they would win the presidency. They were the underdogs for sure, and they were more concerned with being a thorn in the status quo's side. Their campaign slogan said it all. It was, win or lose, we win by raising the issues. In fact, Vincent Hallinan announced his bid for the presidency just one day before being sent to prison after being convicted of contempt of court. He himself was an outspoken lawyer from San Francisco who knew how to get himself into trouble in the courtroom when defending his clients, who were being accused of being sympathetic towards communism. And that's how he ended up serving six months in prison smack in the middle of his presidential campaign. With Vincent behind bars, Charlotta took on most of the campaigning duties. She made speeches and traveled around hoping to make her values known to the public. So Vincent and Charlotta didn't win the presidency. (laughs) They gained 140,000 votes, which was in no way enough to beat the Democratic and Republican candidates. Dwight D. Eisenhower won the race and became president. But Charlotta was able to speak very publicly about the fight for black female rights. And in doing so, she became the first black woman to run for vice president. Oddly enough, that is not where Charlotta's connection to Kamala Harris ends. It turns out that Vincent Hallinan, her running mate, had a son. And that son was Terrence Hallinan. He also became a bit of a rock star lawyer in San Francisco. He had to sue for the right to even practice as a lawyer after the California Bar Association initially refused to admit him because of his radically progressive views. Nonetheless, Terrence ended up having a long legal career, and he even served as the district attorney in San Francisco. 
However, he only served for two terms because he lost his third election for the position. And the woman who won and became the next DA of San Francisco was another young lawyer from California. Her name is Kamala Harris. Isn't that crazy? (laughs) I think it's so interesting how intertwined Charlotta and Kamala's stories are. It makes me think about how Kamala made sure we all knew that she may be the first to make it to the White House, but she won't be the last. It took almost 70 years after Charlotta's run, but we finally got a black female vice president this week. I wonder what Charlotta would be thinking if she could have seen what I saw this Wednesday. What would this moment in time taste like to her? This week, I am left with a lot to think about. I'm still unpacking what it all means to me, so I don't think I really have any neat moral to this story, but I'm glad I get to mull this all over. It is a blessing to see history being made, and this week has shown me that yesterday's history is just waiting on us to tie up its loose ends and keep things moving forward. Thank you so much for listening. I use the following sources to research this week's episode. USA Today's article, Fact Check, in 1952, Charlotta Bass was the first black woman to run for vice president, by Camille Caldera. USA Today's article, decades before Kamala Harris made history, Charlotta Bass became the first black woman to run for VP, by India Yancey Bragg. National Park Service's article on Charlotta Bass. CNN's article, more than half a century before Kamala Harris ran for vice president, This Black Woman Did, by Faith Karini. The Natural History Museum's article, The Pioneering Charlotta Bass, by Jessica Portner. The Washington Post's article, Kamala Harris isn't the first black woman to run for VP. Meet Charlotta Bass, by Teo Armas. Charlotta Bass's acceptance speech for vice presidential candidate of the Progressive Party, The Hill We Climb, by Amanda Gorman. And, as always, original music by Adam Westerman. <laughs>